Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will be, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you and ask that you would use your mighty word to transform our hearts today, to see Jesus in fresh new ways. Not that it, the word is new, but rather that our hearts are continually growing in our understanding and knowledge of you. Would you be with those who might not yet know you, who have not yet placed their faith in you, would you draw them to yourself this morning, Lord? And for those who do know you and are walking in you, Lord, would you continue to strengthen their faith? And for those who know you and are struggling this morning and are hurting and need to hear a comforting word, would you comfort those, Lord, and use your word to transform their hearts, to heal them, and to enable them, Lord, to press forward to serve others, even as they have been served by you, O Lord Jesus. We pray this all in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, there's nothing really all that original about my title this morning, Christ the Savior is Born, but I hope that the familiarity with that lyric, if you will, will mean a whole lot more to us by the time we're done this morning. Christ the Savior is Born. I want you to consider this passage Oftentimes we look at this, and I was remarking to someone the other day that oftentimes these passages, which are so obvious for preachers, are sometimes the hardest passages to preach. I remember when we preached through Philippians in seminary, when we got to that passage where it talks about Jesus and how he humbled himself as a servant, you think, man, you could just preach the gospel for days out of that, how all of us struggled in that passage. And again, this is one of those passages where the familiarity of it and the obviousness of what it's saying, right, in some ways almost makes it hard. And so there's this, this tendency to, in some ways, want to be unique, 
But I think the best way to approach it is to really look right at it and take the familiarity of it and say, what is this saying? And are we really as familiar with this as we ought to be? Well, I want you to consider this as we look at this, that Joseph is in a hard place. I mean, you see what the text tells us about him, don't you? Joseph was a righteous man. He was a just man. He was a good man. He was an honorable man. And he was betrothed to this sweet, precious woman that he knew, at least when he was betrothed to her, to be a virgin. And when the time came for their betrothal period, which was usually about a year, to come to an end and for him to actually take Mary as his wife, he balked because she was found to be with child. And I want you to place yourself in that position. Here's Joseph. He's lived his whole life trying to be an honorable, good man before God and before God's Word. And this dear girl that he obviously loved, that's why he struggled so much. Don't you hear it in the text? He struggled. He didn't want to, he sought to put her away quietly. He could have brought her out into open shame, called her out. He wanted to put her away quietly and to do it in a manner that would both protect his honor under the law, but also show the compassion that all those who know God should desire to show to people who find themselves in difficult situations. And so what I want us to begin to look at is, is that this passage actually speaks to many of us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Aren't we oftentimes finding ourselves in difficult places where here's God's word and here are these people that we love and how do we deal with this and how do we look at it and how do we understand what's going on? How can we minister in these situations? You see, that's where Joseph was. He was a man who felt like he was caught in a very difficult place. Now, I realize that Mary had not been promiscuous. I realize that Mary had unique circumstances. I understand that. But I want you to put yourself in Joseph's place. He doesn't know that. He's not, he doesn't understand. All he's heard is, is Mary is pregnant, and he knows he's not the man. But if he takes her, what does that look like? If he makes her his own, who takes the culpability for the pregnancy? If he unites himself to her, what happens to his position of respect among the establishment of Nazareth and beyond? If he takes her, what happens to Joseph? You see, many of us find ourselves in that same place. If I stop and help this person, if I get myself involved with that girl, if I unite myself with these people, what will happen to me among those who respect me and the position that I've had and all the things I've sought? My reputation might be sullied. Some people have been said it like this, I've got to protect my testimony before the Lord. What testimony? That you have no ability to minister to others? I really want us to take this seriously because I think this passage really helps us to look at how we move forward as God's people into very difficult places and see how God blessed Joseph to be able to move forward. The first thing I want us to look at then is this, 
The encouraging word. Look at what this passage tells us. I mean, here's Joseph. We've already set the stage. He's struggling. He's, he's in some ways discouraged. The angel telling him not to fear obviously tells us that he was and who wouldn't be. He's afraid of what the consequences are going to be. I mean, even if he does put Mary away quietly, there's still going to be the chatter. Joseph is in a difficult spot. And I think the point here to look at is, is that while Joseph is a just man and an honorable man, he's just a man. He's just like all of us men in this room. Right? And men, let's be honest. If we're honest with ourselves, what's the number one thing that we treasure more than anything else? It's our ego. If we're honest, we all, I mean, most of our wives who live with us know that we have issues with our pride, with our ego. When I said that, you should have honored. I mean, we have this code amongst ourselves. And it really is a difficult thing to deal with because it is a part of who we are, the part of us that's been twisted by sin, which tends to use that ego as a means of defending it and protecting it and guiding and guarding it and sheltering it because it really is about me. And Joseph's no different from all of us. No matter how just and righteous he was, he's a normal man. And he's struggling with the fact that he's lived his whole life to be righteous and honorable. And that's all now come to a difficult place. And so what does he need but an encouraging word? And that's exactly what he gets. Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not hold back to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now, that may seem like a small thing, but I want you to really think about this. What Joseph was going to do to Mary was completely lawful. The law said that Joseph could go before two witnesses with Mary and declare that he divorced her, and it would all have been done quietly, and that would have been the end of it. What he needed, though, was a word that would encourage him to take a step forward that was really beyond his ability to do. You do see that, don't you? You see in the text, Joseph has come to a place where he can't go any further. Any step he takes beyond putting Mary away quietly, not putting her to open shame, is going to require something beyond Joseph and his faith. And what he gets is an encouraging word. The angel of the Lord shows up and tells him, Joseph, don't be afraid to associate yourself with Mary. And then you see that 121 in its context, don't you? She shall give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will deliver his people, save his people from all their sins. Now what does that tell Joseph? No matter what the circumstances are here of what people say about me, what they say about Mary, what they say about anyone else is covered by Jesus. 
Because He will save His people from all the... Don't be afraid anymore. You see, what you see here is the reality that Joseph is being told, your sins, all of them, are going to be taken care of, Joseph. Don't be afraid. Now again, I don't want to dismiss the fact that obviously Mary had not sinned in the cause of herself getting pregnant. But Joseph doesn't know that yet until the angel comes and tells him these things. And even so, think about how encouraging it is for Joseph to now walk into this relationship. Because in some ways, think about this. You mean she's going to give birth to a perfect human being? Think about this, men and women, that have children or that have been around children a lot. You know, children have a very unique way of pointing out adults' flaws. You ever notice that? You ever notice how whatever sins you're capable of committing, your children have a profound and unique ability to point them out to you, often in less than desirable times? <laughs> now, they're sinners too, so you can play the sinner card back on them. What do you do with a child who's perfect? I want you to think about that. What would enable a man to be willing to raise a child that was never going to do anything wrong? Ever. Ego, remember? What's that like to have a, have a child that grows up and tells you, I'm doing my father's business? What is it like to have a kid? You know, sometimes, and parents, again, let's be honest here. Have you ever spanked a child, disciplined a child, got upset with a child, and you knew almost the instant you did whatever you did, I completely did that for all the wrong reasons. Or, I was completely wrong. They were justified in what they had done, and I completely missed it on this one. And now I've disciplined this child, and they were completely in the right. I'm sure none of the rest of you have ever felt that way, but yours truly has. Now again, what would it be like to raise a child who Jesus maybe got a spanking, Got grounded. For what reason? It could have never been his fault. He never sinned. What would it enable a man to be able to raise that kind of child and have the courage to continue to press forward in it? It had to be this encouraging word. This word, even when you do the wrong thing in front of Jesus, He will save you from your sins. See, that's what it means to be a person who really understands what justification is. To be right with God. Not based on what you've done, but based on what another has done. Based on what they declare to be the truth. That's what Joseph was beginning to get right here in this passage. What you need to see, Joseph, is that I am going to take care of you in every way, including your sins, your guilt, your shame, your fear. You don't need to be afraid. You need to take Mary and trust that I'm going to watch over you. So do you hear it? He has been given an encouraging word. The second point I want us to look at is the assuring fulfillment. 
This might not be any, any big thing to you because you think, yeah, well, I've heard Isaiah say this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And I'm sure many of you have, have if you didn't know before, you've grown up in some measure in this church and other places you've been. Emmanuel means God with us. So, yeah, they quote this passage. But do you understand two things that are going on here? One is Matthew's not writing this for Joseph's benefit. I don't even know that this necessarily crossed Joseph's mind at the time. This is written for our benefit. See, when we read this, what we need to be willing to hear is this assuring fulfillment. Now, I'm sure that it was assuring to Mary, because I imagine Mary had gotten real in touch with those passages that were pointing to things like this. I'm not crazy. I wasn't just hearing things. The child that is in me is from the Holy Spirit. This is fulfillment. Now, I'm sure that Joseph began to be acquainted with it as well, but Matthew points this out primarily for us who are reading this story to realize that this is fulfillment of what the Old Testament had said, and we should be assured by it. Because see, anytime we see fulfillment, what does that do for us? It assures us that whatever God has promised in the future if he's fulfilled what he said in the past, it gives us assurance that he's going to continue to be faithful to us, right? That's why we need the assurance. And you see how Matthew says, these things are hard to believe, aren't they? I mean, it's an encouraging word, but it's in some ways hard to believe. So what follows right on it? These things were there to fulfill what was already said. You see, God was keeping his word. We've looked at that throughout this incarnation season, that God has been keeping His Word. We've looked at all those Old Testament passages to see that God was making a promise that He kept in Jesus. But I want you to see it right here. Matthew is trying to draw us as the readers and the hearers of his gospel. I want you to see that what I'm telling you is not too good to be true. Because see, most things in life we know, right? We're, we're a skeptical generation. If it's too good to be true, it's what? too good to be true. But see, Matthew wants to say, it's, it's too good to be true, but it is. And here's the proof. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will give deliverance to his people from all their sins. God said it, and it's happening right in front of us. That's what Matthew's trying to get you to see. This truth that you can be set free from fear, just like Joseph, just like Mary, is not such some fancy, not just some nice words to say at this time of year, but that real peace on earth can be experienced because God has kept His Word. So you see that this is an assuring fulfillment and it casts out fear. It also reminds us of this, and see, this is the other part of it. It reminds us that we're not alone, right? If God is with us, we're not alone, ever. Now, I want to say that's very practical, but see, there are some of you that over the next few weeks and months, you may feel like, Lord, we feel alone. Are you going to keep your promises to us? Are you going to watch over us? Are you going to care for us? Are you going to send us a man to really 
preach to us and teach to us and give us the sacraments and cherish us and love us and be willing to sacrifice for us. Are you really going to do that? And see, what the scriptures are trying to tell you is you need to not be afraid. You need to believe that God is with you. God is with you always and forever because Jesus has come. You need to hear the assurance that all the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament are yes and amen in Jesus. Third point I want us to look at this morning. The beautiful sacrifice. Now I want you to think about this whole pack, this whole paragraph, the whole package of this section here. And I want you to think about this. There is nothing, at least in my book, and I hope it's true for many of you, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a person be willing to forego their reputation, to forego their position, to forego everything they've worked hard for, and to lay it down for another person. There's something beautiful about that. There's something amazing about that. When we watch movies where we see that kind of love displayed, we resonate with it. It's, it's something that strikes at the very core of who we are as human beings. That people would be willing to be associated. They would give up their wealth or they would give up their fame or they would go do something. I look at Hollywood even. I mean, you know, you see various ones of these stars and, you know, they go over and, and will adopt these children out of abject poverty or, the, or, you know, you look at Brad Pitt and all the money he poured into New Orleans or Harry Connick Jr. and how people have just resonated with people who are willing to do those kind of things. It's willing to be sacrificial to associate themselves with difficult, almost hopeless situations. And for any of you that have ever been to New Orleans, you do realize that New Orleans is a big bowl. You understand that they've built the lip up now a little higher keep the soup from coming in. But it's a big bowl. In some ways, it's kind of a hopeless situation because the next time a hurricane comes, what do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, they have yet to build a levee big enough to stop one of God's hurricanes from getting over the top of it. It just happens that way. And so in some sense, to keep pouring money and to try and hold that together from an earthly perspective, it looks kind of hopeless. And yet my hope for New Orleans, which is one of the cities that has never experienced any form of an awakening, I don't know if you know this, but it's the only city that close to the Mississippi River, that, in that part of the country, that never experienced either one of the awakenings, ever. It is a dark city. And my hope is that as these things have happened, not whether or not God's judging it, that's not for me to figure out. That's for God to figure out. But the reality is, is that those things that have happened there, I believe have happened for a reason, that they might experience the love of Jesus in a way they've never seen. And that God might delight even to use the sacrifice of finances of people like Brad Pitt and Harry Connick Jr. and other people to give opportunities for friends of mine to go plant churches down there and preach the gospel to people who desperately need it. There's something beautiful about that. Beautiful about people who are willing to go and give up a prestigious situation to take a humble situation. We think that's beautiful. There's something noble about that. There's also something noble about somebody who would abstain 
from fulfilling their own personal pleasure for the sake of another's comfort and benefit. Do you see that? I don't know if you see it directly in this passage, but I want you to hear it. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. See, we tend to just rush right by that and say, well, yeah, he didn't have sex with her. No, people, he didn't have sex with her. He abstained from touching Mary. Now, I want you to think about how Jewish life went. A year of betrothal, of getting closer and closer and closer and closer to this person. And part of the great ritual of this culture was the consummation of the marriage. And Joseph abstains for another X number of months, six, seven months. He doesn't touch Mary. He cares for her. He lays his life down for her. He sacrifices for her. He gives up reputation. He gives up position. He gives up prestige. He gives up his own pleasure. He gives up his own comfort so that Mary might deliver this child. Now, how many times do we find ourselves unwilling to do that? To give up pleasure, to give up comfort, to give up prestige, to give up place of pride. And how often do we not do that? And the point is, I want to go back and remind you, Joseph is just a man. How does he do this? How does he step beyond himself? Well, these are the three things I want to say in conclusion that we need to see, that we need to see and that I believe was happening in him. In the person of Jesus, God sent the encouraging word. Right? We know this, right? John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word came. Hebrews 1 tells us this, that throughout the the history of humanity, God had spoken through the fathers and the prophets. But in these last days, He came and spoke through a Son. The better word. The final word. The most encouraging word was Jesus. The person of Jesus was the encouraging and is the encouraging word. You see, when you see and place your faith in Jesus, what you see is a word that is able to clear you of all your wrongdoings, that is able to strengthen you and uphold you in the darkest place, in the most difficult circumstances. Second thing we need to see is that I've already quoted the scripture, but you, you, we've heard it before. Jesus is the assuring fulfillment, isn't he? Every time I find myself coming to a place where I go, I'm just not sure I can do this. I just can't love this person. And since this was said last night in a public forum, I decided this morning I would use this as an illustration. I usually don't, but I'm going to. There were so many conversations that I had over the last couple of years with Eva and with Karen in particular. Karen going, how, Dennis, can I love this girl? She's just everywhere. 
There is no constancy in her life. Everything you say to her, everything we say to her, she lives in her home, she does her own thing, she won't comply, she won't conform. I just want to kick her out. Can you write with Karen? You understand where Karen was coming from? And Karen calls her pastor for an assuring word, which was supposed to be the encouraging word and the assuring fulfillment of kick her out. <laughs> and what does he say? Karen, this is an opportunity for you to trust Jesus and not in your own strength. That, Dennis, is not helpful. <laughs> oh, but Karen, it is. Because you have no idea what God is able to do if you're willing to let Jesus put Eva back together instead of Karen putting Eva back together. Just do your part. Just keep your home open. Just keep praying. Just hang on. And see, last night, for all of you who were here, you got to hear Eva say and declare, God has been faithful. He has kept His promises. He has transformed me as a human being. He is putting me back together. You see, Jesus really is the assuring fulfillment. He continues to show us God does keep His Word. He does fulfill His promises, every single one of them, including transforming people just like you and I. The third conclusion point is this. And you should see it. Who, more than Jesus, gave up everything? Psalms tells us that at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore, which we as believers have that to wait for and to, and to know that that is our surety, that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who sits at God's right hand but Jesus? And He gave it all up. Pleasure, comfort, encouragement, pride of place, Permanence. Fellowship. Gave it all up. Gave it all up for us. You see, what enabled Joseph to do the things he did was coming in touch with Jesus. And Joseph could never be the same. And you see, God is able to do the same thing for us in this congregation. As we come to know Jesus, as we come to believe that He really is the encouraging words, we come to believe that He is the assuring fulfillment of everything that God has promised us, as we come to believe that He is the beautiful sacrifice, that He gave it all up so that we could have it all in Him, we are able to do things which we never thought possible. To love family members we never thought we could love. To care for people outside our sphere of influence, outside our sphere of comfortability, we never thought we were able to do. God is able to do it. He has been doing it among us, even for those of you that didn't know it. Which means that He's able to do it in you and with you and through you as well. May God make it so. 
May He bless us as His people and bless this church in particular as you seek to live it out. Amen.